Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Hello again, everybody. It is the Blue Gold Report being brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Proud to be with you. Uh, Mike Rags, your host. Todd Burlidge with us as always. We'll get to him in a second. I want to give you a heads up what we're all about today. We actually have a special guest on the show, Mike Golick Jr. of ESPN's the early morning show. He, he does it every first and last. It's on right before his dad's on with Wingo. Uh, Mike Golick will join us. Of course, an alumni from Notre Dame football. He's all proud about the game. We'll talk about the upcoming Cotton Bowl and uh, Brian Kelly winning AP Coach of the Year and some early signing stuff, too. Lots to get into with Mike. I had a chance to sit down and talk to him, so we'll talk to him a little bit later on in the show. We'll break down some more of the game. We've got some hoops to get into and all that kind of fun stuff, and we'll actually get into to that uh, December signing period now, uh, the second year of this new development, and we'll break that down some. But let's bring him in right now. He, of course, of the Blue Gold Illustrated, a lead writer there, all things Notre Dame. It's Todd Burlidge. Todd, uh, happy holidays, my friend. Yeah, you too, Rags. How you doing? Not too bad. Uh, I know a lot of uh, fans out there of Notre Dame hopefully uh, get a win post-holiday uh, post and get their uh, you know little first-round win in their stocking this year. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. A little late for the stocking, but certainly a good way to celebrate the new year. Yeah, it'd be a great way to start 2019. So, yeah, we do have some stuff to get to today. And, of course, uh, Mike Golick will join us. But we always start the show with uh, some blue gold nuggets. What do you got for us, Todd? The usual three-pack rags. You led me in a little bit on the first one here. Brian Kelly continues to clean up on the hardware postseason here, adding the AP Coach of the Year trophy to his mantle this past week to set alongside uh, his Home Depot Coach of the Year trophy from a couple weeks ago. Um, Brian Kelly became only the third coach to win the AP Coach of the Year multiple times. Kelly did it in 2012 here at Notre Dame and in 2018, obviously. Nick Saban uh, did it twice as well. Uh, Saban did it in 2003 and 2008. And TCU's Gary Patterson uh, did it in 2009 and 2014. So I kind of crunched the numbers a little bit on that, on this. So that means in the last 11 years, these three coaches, Kelly, Saban, and Patterson, have uh, won this award five times. Uh, Kelly was first in the voting, obviously. Nick Saban was second. And Josh Hoople from uh, Central Florida, his first year there, uh, he was third in the voting. Dina Babers of Syracuse and UAB's Bill Clark, who did a nice job with a program that was left for dead. Those are a couple of notable names on there as well. Uh, Notre Dame quarterback Ian Book. He found himself in an unusual and unexpected place this week uh, when he when, when the news Sports Illustrated was launched. And he was right there on the cover. This is a guy that didn't even start the season as the Notre Dame starter. And here he is on the SI cover. These are regional covers, Rags, are regional. So Alabama will have theirs. Clemson will have theirs. Oklahoma will have theirs. And obviously Notre Dame has its. Um, it was kind of funny because Clemson's cover features the four defensive linemen with a shot from below them looking down as if you're a quarterback laying on your back. <laughs> and a lot of people were making fun of it, saying this is what Ian Book is going to see a lot of in this game. So uh, uh, there you have that. Uh, 2015 is the last time Notre Dame appeared on a regional cover. Ronnie Stanley and Jalen Smith were on that one. You have to go back to 2012 before that, and these were national covers. Manti Teo did it twice that particular, that particular season. 
This past weekend, Brian Kelly, for the seventh straight year, had its annual Shop with a Player event. This is a great event, Rags, part of the Kelly Cares Foundation. 108 kids, one for every member of the Notre Dame football team, was invited. You kind of had to earn your way into this. Uh, you had lunch with the players players at uh, either Papa Vino's or Chili's here locally. And then each one of the kids were given a $100 gift card to Meyer, and they shopped with the player. Those gift cards, $10,800 worth, were courtesy of Brian Kelly and his wife, Pocky. Uh, so good for them. It's a great cause. And those are your Blue Gold Nuggets. All right. I love it. And, uh, you know, I, I find this uh, national signing thing, uh, and then we'll start there. Uh, fascinating. You know, I heard uh, Nick Saban actually whining about it, you know, preparing for the bowl game and then having to do mm-hmm. this. And all. I'm like, all right, well, it's a good problem to have, uh, Nick. Don't we <laughs> wish we all had that problem? But uh, Notre Dame did quite well for themselves. And I, I liked what they did on uh, social media, too. I guess they hashtagged uh, Fight Club 19, which is the two. 2019 class pretty uh, clever what would so number 12 overall i think was the last ranking i saw from 27 24 7 sports is that right yeah floating right around there uh, anywhere between 10 and 15 depending on where you look but yeah that's pretty much spot on it was a little bit fluid this time of year but indeed no surprises i mean and there were some surprises around the country you know since georgia quarterback justin fields announced he's going to transfer which came which really sent shockwaves uh, throughout all of college football Ohio State and Florida State both lost their quarterback recruits because they, they've been courting fields. So they lost a couple of recruits. There's some top programs there, but no issues at Notre Dame whatsoever. Smooth as can be. All 21 of the players that were verbally committed all signed. There are 16 four-star recruits there. Very efficient operation. Notre Dame has really started to hit its stride in recruiting. You just don't get the surprises that you used to. That takes some of the fun out of signing day, especially this early signing period. But Brian Kelly did say he still has a couple spots open that he can kind of goof around with come February for the regular signing day. Ten early enrollees from this class, which is a school record. Actually, the previous record was last year. Uh, seven early enrollees. Uh, ten will be in school, enrolled in January and seven of those ten are either offensive or defensive linemen, which is a good move. You want to get them under Matt Bayless sooner rather than later. And here's Brian Kelly kind of breaking, uh, breaking down really the entire early signing day for him. I think we addressed uh, some important needs. You could see it. Offensive line, defensive line was, was really the, the immediate focus. Uh, then we were looking for uh, length and athleticism on defense. And then uh, from, from an offensive standpoint, uh, continue to build um, the speed on, on the perimeter. So you've got a bunch of state champs in this class. You've got captains. You've got guys that really fit Notre Dame uh, in terms of uh, how we do things on a day-to-day basis. I think we're from 16 states. You know, I think really uh, when you look at this class, uh, it starts with um, – Having the ability to begin this process further out than we ever have in the past. And um, this early signing date helped us with this class last year, and this early signing date helps us with next year's class as well. Um, December was hectic, but January really allows us not to have to go around the country babysitting, but continuing to move forward in looking at our 20s and 21s in the recruiting process. Really like that we fulfilled what the goal was here, and that was to augment the O-line, D-line, get length and athleticism on defense, 
and, and really continue to work towards speed uh, on the, the offensive side of the ball, as well as mid-year enrollment. Uh, that mid-year enrollment, obviously, we feel as though has been very, very effective for us because it gives us um, those young men with Bayless in the offseason, gives them that summer workout, it gives them that preseason camp, and we feel like with that, we can get them ready to play uh, as true freshmen. You know, we talked about a little bit last week, uh, Jack Kaiser had a pioneer. He actually was the second person to send his letter of intent in, got in after just after 7 o'clock in the morning, and they say he's coming in as a linebacker like we talked about. And also another in-state kid out of uh, St. Joe, uh, South Bend St. Joe, He uh, Connor Radigan's on the team, a preferred walk-on. So uh, that's pretty cool that someone uh, local, and we record this in South Bend and Fort Wayne, that uh, they're going to make that team, Todd. And and I, I did notice, and we'll get into it a little bit here, uh, he talks about 16 different states but they ignored a state tell us about this yeah first of all um yeah 16 different states as brian kelly mentioned and when you're looking at kind of the emphasis of the class i want to throw this in real quick four offensive linemen four defensive linemen four linebackers and four defensive backs so that was kind of the meat of this recruiting class yeah for the first time since 2008 not a florida kid on the team you might have thought oh well they must have fallen down on recruiting there they didn't. This was by design. Brian Kelly was on the WSBT's weekly radio show uh, talking to Eric Hansen, and he really they, they had a real interesting conversation about how Brian Kelly really wanted to get into Florida, and he did. As a matter of fact, since he's been at Notre Dame, he's recruited 29 kids from the Sunshine State, okay? That's great. That leads all other states. But 41% of these kids have transferred away. I don't know. The, the Florida kids have just caused problems and headaches for Notre Dame and Brian Kelly in particular. So he moved to state north. Georgia is now the new Florida. He has three Georgia kids on this, and you've kind of seen this pattern developing. Um, So three commits from Georgia this year. Brian Kelly feels like the talent drop-off is not much between Florida and Georgia. He just feels like the kids are a better fit there. And, and you know, for whatever reason, he would know a heck of a lot more about it than I do. Uh, But it is kind of interesting that, indeed, Georgia is now the new Florida and this, like, uh, like I said, this is the first time in a long time that no Florida kids are on the uh, within the recruiting class here at Notre Dame. We also had a chance to catch up with special teams coach and recruiting coordinator Brian Polian. He's always an interesting interview, and he was kind of talking about giving an overview of sort of the dynamics that it takes to recruit to Notre Dame. There are obviously some great benefits, but some great challenges as well. I don't think it's an earth-shattering thought to think that when you're winning, recruiting goes okay. Um, But that said, we are looking for a very specific person here. Uh, And I think the type of guy that we want to recruit is not necessarily going to be dissuaded by the difference of 9-3, and 10-3 last year to 12-0. The person that we want that wants Notre Dame, I think, is is gonna is gonna pick us nonetheless, and, and I really believe that um, we displayed that after putting together a pretty good recruiting class coming out of 16. Um, but ultimately, Coach Kelly's vision and his mission for our program and these traits that we try to display on a daily basis, um, I think that when you have success on the field, it. It validates those things, and obviously when we can point to that in recruiting, it's it's helpful. Um, so ultimately, I, I think we're looking for a very specific type of kid, though. 
and schools like us, Stanford, Northwestern, Vanderbilt, I don't think uh, the difference between two or three and the one loss record is necessarily going to swing a guy. I think we're on, we've been on a run for, what, 10 or 14 years. Of, if you start at tight end at Notre Dame, you end up a draft pick. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I think there's been a run lately of, of really good offensive linemen that have gone on and played well in the league. So I think when there starts to build a tradition at certain positions, you know, uh, guys tend to be drawn to that. And, and uh, you know, there's been a little bit of that here. Uh, Todd, so one more thing on this uh, signing day in December. I can't figure out if it's if it's a benefit or not a benefit or, or whatever. And to me, it seems like a manufactured way to 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 exploit these kids a little bit more than we have to. But that, Ooh, that's, I would disagree, Rex. I, I don't know. I just feel like uh, these. Ki- I I never like the change in the hats and all that stuff. So to do it a month or two earlier, I I just don't. I got a bad vibe from that whole thing. Just go to college I, and play. I, I don't. I don't go for this whole national coverage of kids coming out of high school. Well, I would disagree with you in that if you want to sign for Notre Dame, why do you have to wait around till February and get courted in calls and letters and harassed? You know, This way you can just relax. You can do what you want to do. I think this helps the kids more than it hurts the kids. I mean, that, that February show, that was a total circus. I think <laughs> This this sort of settles that down a little bit, Rags. It really does. Well, I I, I guess any kind of exposure when it comes to that bothers me. Uh, so it doesn't matter. They right? want it. Yeah, you're right. No, they're, you you're right. Um, well, we're gonna have Mike Golick here in a second. But what, you know, I know you want to talk about some of the you know challenges and benefits that you know. It, 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 I mean, Napoleon talks about it there. Um, do you think they have it? I mean, are they one of the top teams now, Todd? That that. Uh, you know, this is good for them more than any other, like a, a, a like a Purdue or an Indiana. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean Purdue, Indiana. I don't know if that's a real good comparison, but when you talk about some of the big state schools, your Florida States and, and you know Texas and whatnot, I think Brian Pullian is right. You are recruiting a different kind of player to Notre Dame, and once they commit. You know, 99% of the time, they're not going to waver in that commitment. And that's why I think Notre Dame really enjoys this December signing period. They can get these kids on board. They can look forward to some, some, you know, maybe a couple leftover players that didn't commit during the early signing period. And they can start to move ahead instead of, like Brian Kelly said, babysitting. You know, you're re-recruiting these kids all the way up to February. So I think Notre Dame has found a very good rhythm with this early signing period. This is obviously only the second go-around, but certainly there have been no surprises. It's gone very smoothly through uh, these first two goes. I wonder if the Florida thing has uh, anything to do with the weather. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. We already know people from Florida are a little wacky anyway, but you bring them up here to the cold weather in December, uh, maybe they start changing their minds real quick. Yeah, could very well be. <laughs> He's the host of First and Last. You hear him every early morning, a weekdays, right on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM. Uh, it is a Notre Dame alumni, so let's get him on and talk about the big game coming up on the 29th. It's our good buddy, Mike Golick Jr. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, you know, we're getting close. I, I said with a buddy the other day, Christmas almost feels like an appetizer for the main course that is the Cotton Bowl this year. Yeah, it's weird. I wondered uh, how much amount of pride goes into the first time getting a college football playoff bid. I mean, uh, I guess you could pump your chest a little bit now. 
Absolutely. Listen, being a Notre Dame fan is a double-edged sword because obviously as someone who was an alumni of Notre Dame, as someone who played there and has a great deal of pride, but as also someone who grew up a Notre Dame fan basically my entire life because of my family's association, you grow up with all the positive thoughts about Notre Dame, and then you learn that there are a lot of people that hate Notre Dame for the same reasons that we all love it, and a lot of those people tend to work at the company that I'm involved in right now. I mean, let's be able Talk about what it is. ESPN is a place that not everyone is going to love Notre Dame. And so to get to walk into the office, a place where we talk about all this stuff daily and be proud of and brag on the Notre Dame team that we've watched this year, it's been uniquely satisfying. Uh, Mike, before we get into the game and their matchup against Clemson, I did a couple of items I wanted to bring up. We're just fresh coming off the uh, the new December signee day. Uh, they get 21 coming into class here. Uh, something you didn't get to experience as a December signee. Do you see this uh, as a hindrance or an advantage? What do you see this as this new December signing day? Uh, I think right now it's an advantage for both sides. You'll see there's an adjustment period like everything else once this becomes the norm. I'm sure there will be new challenges, and for the coaches, there are challenges of having to go through a lot of this process while you're preparing for your bowl game as well in a lot of these cases. But for kids, I think it's great because you get so many times late in the recruiting process, you hear these horror stories of guys' scholarships being pulled late in the process as other top-quality players become available. Now a kid can cement their commitment at the beginning of December, and they're good to go. And at the same time, for coaches on the other side, we hear about all these late flips, these guys at signing day that will turn over to a different team. Well, now early in the signing period, you can get those guys locked down, and the ones who are left in the open understand that, all right, we're playing the game too. A coach, a team can go out there and sign another prospect, and maybe that leaves a kid on the outside looking in so everyone understands the risk reward of this time period but ultimately i think it's good get that commitment out of the way so guys some can own and enjoy their playoff runs in high school enjoy the rest of that high school career and have a major decision behind them yeah i guess uh, was there any uh, was there ever any doubt when mike Jul- golick jr was signing where you were going i, I mean you're kind of heritage was there was there uh, other choices uh, you know, in the recruiting process, I got the speech from my dad, as did my brother and my sister, who was a swimming recruit years later, that this is your decision, go wherever you want. But as someone who grew up swaddled in blue and gold, whose house that I grew up in was covered in an almost embarrassing amount of blue and gold from the walls <laughs> to the ceilings, I, I don't know if mentally we ever really had a choice. And I know for me, once that offer came in, I shut it down. I was the first commit in my class. My brother was the first commit in his class. This was just the place we always knew we wanted. So the decision was easier than it is for most. I'm not envious of the recruiting process by any means. We're talking with Mike Golick, Jr., host of First and Last. And uh, let's look at Brian Kelly here. He wins the AP Coach of the War, uh, the Year Award for a second time, one of only three coaches to do that. Let me ask you this, because every year we hear about a new and involved Brian Kelly when he comes to camp. Um, what do you see in the difference between Brian Kelly 2012 and Brian Kelly 2018? I, listen, I think someone who has grown into this job. I mean, it was year three on the job for Brian at that point in 2012, and, and all of us have grown in that amount of time. But for Brian as a coach, he came in with a, a lot of coaching experience already from his time at Grand Valley and Central Michigan and from Cincinnati where he had a ton of success at all those stops. But Notre Dame's a different animal. It, it is a different animal in so many ways. And so him learning through that process, going through – that season and every bit of the challenges there to 2014 to last year when they started off with so much success and fanfare before that Miami game. And I think learning to, as he's grown with the players, listen to guys. That was one of the things that I think is 
unique in college football. There aren't a lot of coaches that can make that change necessary when you have a four and eight season like they had a couple of years ago to go and ask the players, what can we do better to let them be a part of the process? A lot of people say it very few rarely follow through on that. So uh, I give Brian a ton of credit for going down, being able to listen and still, you know, he coaches the way he's always coached and, and so much of that stuff are pillars that you don't change, but he made a lot of necessary adjustments and they came because he was able to listen in part to what the players had to say. All right, Mike, let's talk about the Cotton Bowl here. Obviously, uh, be careful what you wish for kind of thing. You make the playoffs, but now you're facing Clemson, who in a lot of ways are 1A to Alabama's number one. Um, they're fast. They've got a great defensive line. How do you like their chances uh, You know, going up against this Tiger team? Yeah, I think interesting matchups to watch are probably both secondaries versus the opposing receiving core, right? The, tra- the Clemson run game gets a lot of credit, and, and Travis Etienne's a great running back and a guy who's been a, a yards-per-carry monster in the NCAA this year. But on the outside, Trevor Lawrence can get the ball outside the numbers as well as anybody, a strong arm, an accurate passer in those settings. And we saw against Southern Cal, that gave Notre Dame some issues, the short passing game towards the perimeter when you've got athletes that can make guys miss in space. So for Julian Love and company, that's the challenge. But on the other side, since week one, seeing the receivers that Notre Dame has, seeing Miles and Chase and Alizé and what Fink's able to do with his quickness, this is just a big, capable group. And with their gelling with Ian through the course of the season and the trust that they've developed throwing the ball, not only deep downfield, but in the intermediate passing game as a part of that run-pass option look, I think those guys can really stress a defense with their size. They may not be burners, anyone in that group, but they've all got the size to go up there and make big-time plays. And I think that's a place where Notre Dame specifically is going to have to exploit that and in the intermediate passing game with their running backs because when you've got a dominant D-line the way Clemson does, you've got to find a way to take the edge off. And a lot like Notre Dame did adjusting to Southern Cal in the second half, some of those screen passes to Dexter, to Tony Jones, uh, those can be a huge weapon for you, but I look at the perimeter for both sides. I think is an area where they're going to be tested. I'm not going to ask you to pick the game because we know who we're picking here. Um, let, look at the uh, later game. Uh, do you give Oklahoma a fighting chance against Alabama at all? I listen. I think any team that's got the caliber of playmaker that you've got in Kyler Murray has a fighting chance. They're going to be able to put up points, but the difference is. So can Alabama, and it's amazing seeing Tua Tungavailoa recovering from that ankle surgery that he had coming off of the SEC championship game and how able-bodied he looks already. But even with that, you've got Jalen as the backup, and the bottom line is this. Oklahoma's defense has demonstrated very little playmaking ability. We saw some in that uh, conference championship game against Texas, but against an offense like Alabama, I am much more confident that Alabama's defense is going to get the two or three stops necessary to give their offense the extra possession and start to put this in an uncomfortable place for them. They can grind and ball control a lot better than Oklahoma can. They can find a way to make sure that this game may even resemble the pace of the Alabama games of old where they were that boa constrictor offense because you don't want to, even as mighty as Alabama's defense is with Quentin Williams and those guys, you don't want to put it in the hands of Kyler Murray too much because he's so potent just on his own. So I think that we could see them slow it down a little more than we've seen Alabama do for the majority of this year. All right, Mike Golick Jr., first and last. And no matter when the season ends, I have uh, I feel very comfortable in saying the Heisman Trophy uh, for Ian Book campaign can begin. I really feel like that's going to gain a lot of steam next year. 
absolutely roll into an off season, and uh, we'll be ready to go. I know I'll be beating the drum on my end, so we'll be good and ready to go. And where are the Golics watching this game? Uh, so mom and dad will be watching this game at home. They couldn't make the last-minute trip, but I am making my, uh, my way down to Dallas. I am calling the New Era Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Miami and Wisconsin facing off in that game. And then the next day I'm getting on a plane and heading down to Dallas. I'm going to take this one in in person and watch the boys go out there and do the damn thing. And then hopefully there's one more trip after that, Mike. Thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, good luck, Irish. Absolutely. Go Irish. All right, I want to thank uh, Mike Golick Jr. there uh, for helping us out. And, of course, he's pumped up as we are. And we've got one more show before the big game. Todd, let's get into some hoops real quick before we get out of here. A devastating injury, a second year in a row. Not as big as maybe as far as the impact on the court, but they lose Rex Fluger, and he is pretty much done. Yeah, it appears that way. He could, uh, obviously, this was in the Crossroads Classic game, an 88-80 win over Purdue. By far, Notre Dame's most impressive win this season, most impressive game this season. Uh, John Mooney, he's really playing well. 21 points, D.J. Harvey 19, T.J. Gibbs 12, and freshman Dane Goodwin 11. But obviously the big news coming out of that is indeed Rex Fluger tore the ACL in his left knee. Season-ending surgery. He could perhaps apply for a fifth year, but he graduates. He's got a business deal already set up. I will be surprised if he comes back. I, I honestly think Mike Bray with this young team wouldn't mind turning the page. Certainly he would welcome Fluger back. I will be surprised if indeed he comes back. And first of all, I'd have to get a waiver to even be allowed to because in theory he burnt all, all his eligibility. I think it really stinks because he was having such a nice game against Purdue, playing great defensively, had dished out a career-high 10 assists at 7 points, 3 rebounds. You know, Offensively, when you look at his career here, he did score 596 career points in 110 games. He was really the lockdown defensive specialist. He was always asked to play to, to cover the other team's best player, and he did a phenomenal job doing that. And I think that made him a little bit of an unsung hero. Um, so he's lost in that game. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame still held on and got the win, and then came back again. The Irish did and beat a team called Bingham, Binghamton. Maybe that's out your way, out east there. I'm not even sure, Rags. New York, uh, yeah. Six, 69-56. Uh, Jawan Durham, he continues to emerge as well. He had a career-high 16 points to go along with 12 rebounds for his double-double. And here's Mooney again, 12 points, 12 rebounds for his double-double. Uh, T.J. Gibbs added 16 points, and Notre Dame will return to action Saturday noon for South Pavilion against Coppin State. And you look at the ladies, uh, they play <laughs> a Western Kentucky. Hard to lose when you shoot nearly 70% from the field, Todd. Yeah, third best, uh, third third best in school history. Rags, I, I did leave something out. I wanted to pop in here as, as far as the men's concerned. Sorry about that. Um, but with this, with Fluger now gone, he was the lone senior from that two, 2015 class. You know, Elijah Burns recently transferred to Siena, and then Matt Ryan was part of that class as well. He's playing for Vanderbilt and actually doing a pretty good job down there. Uh, so no seniors, no no nobody from this class of 2015 remains. Also, the Irish lost Robbie Carmody to shoulder injury for the season. He's done. He needs surgery. Eight scholarship players now. And this is this is a similar storyline to what we faced last year uh, with Matty Farrell and Bonzi Colson going down. So the injury bug continues to, to plague Notre Dame. But indeed, on to the women. Another game against Binghamton, 103-59. to um, this, this was the game before what we're going to talk about, that Western Kentucky game. I just thought I'd fly through this one real quick. Uh, they had 27 assists on 39 field goals, not too bad. Uh, Marina Mabry, 21 points. That's a season high to go along with 10 assists. Arike had 13 points, 11 boards, which was a career high. 
uh, six Irish in double figures. And then you're talking about the Western Kentucky win, 94 to 53. Indeed, 69.8% shooting, the third best percentage all time in the program. That That is 37 of 53. Uh, great balance again, five double figure scores. Marina led them all with 20 points. Ariki had 16. And the women are up next at Marquette, Saturday, 1.30 p.m., Rags. And keep an eye on Jessica Shepard in that game. She went 6-for-6 six six against Western Kentucky. That's 15 makes in a row over three outings. Now, if uh, the record is uh, Carrie Poor from 94 at 17 in a row. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so uh, something to watch this coming weekend. If it's going to happen, it'll probably happen uh, out there. So a real interesting side note to that game. That was my Definitely. little... I end, the, I end the show on a little nugget. How about that, Todd? I like that one for sure, yeah. We'll know right away, won't we? Uh, we, we only need two to tie, three to break. Uh, I want to thank Mike Golick Jr. again. Make sure you listen to First and Last every weekday morning. Uh, we'll be back again next week for uh, our prior to the Cotton Bowl show. The Blue Gold Report always brought to you by uh, D.O. McCone and Sons Funeral Homes. Uh, be sure to uh, share us, rate us, review us, wherever you found this podcast. And if you're listening, thanks for listening to ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM. Todd, we'll do it again next week. Yeah, it'll be a biggie. Thanks, Rex. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.